Hi, welcome to Soul Revolution. We believe that you are the change wherever you are. If you like to know more about us, who we are and what we do, find us on Facebook as Soul Revolution. We are so thrilled to share this message with you today. Good evening, Soul Life. Yeah, I think you can do it a little better. Good evening. Now, uh, talking about death and dead man walking, that's not an interesting thing to talk about. And death is always morbid. But there were some interesting facts about death that I came across, even as I was preparing for this uh, message. And so I want you to listen to these interesting facts. So can we have those slides up, even as I read through some of those interesting facts? It is estimated that 100 billion people have died since the beginning of humanity. I wonder how much that is. The second one, around 153,000 people died on the day you were born. Next, a study reveals that approximately 7,000 people die every year due to bad handwriting by doctors on their medical scripts. Now listen to this. Hearing is the last sense to go when we die. So beware if you're in a room where a person is about to die and you're talking something about him or her, okay? Hearing is the last sense to go when we die. Now, the inventor of Pringles has requested that his ashes be stored in a can after his death. So you may end up having his ashes in one of those cans. Beware. Now next one. You're more likely to die from slipping in the bathtub or being stuck by lightning than in a terrorist attack. Next one. The WHO estimates that one in every eight people in the world die from a pollution-related illness. Now you've got to listen to this one. There's a service in UK that hires fake friends to cry at the funeral of a loved one. Now see this one. In 2013, Google funded a company called Calico, whose purpose is to find a cure for death. They're still finding a cure, okay? Now listen to this one, this is very interesting. A company called Life Gem creates diamond from people's ashes. People who suffer from a delusion called Cotard delusion believe they are dead when they are actually alive. And see this last one, and I wish I was a jellyfish, because jellyfish is one of the only animals that can't die from old age, unless it meets with an accident and it dies, but not from old age. So these are some interesting facts about death. Regardless of race, religion, ge geographical area, or time period, every human being has wondered about one fact of life that unifies us all, and that is death. Though we have advanced in science and technology, but we are totally powerless to prevent or overcome death. Everyone, each of us sitting in this room, and all those who are outside, Everyone whom we know, whom we talk to, whom we relate to, who is born, has to ultimately die. That's fact. 
But the most painful thing is, the younger the death happens, the more traumatic it becomes for people associated with the dead person. And that is what John Levin talks about, the passage that we are going to touch this evening. John Levin talks about the death of a young man named Lazarus, very familiar to most of us. And the Bible doesn't mention the age of this person, but I'm assuming he should be around 30 years of age because the Bible also mentions that he was a good friend of Jesus. So he must be somewhere around his late 20s or early 30s. And the Bible doesn't mention much about his family except that he had two close sisters, his own sisters, whose names were Martha and Mary. There has been no mention of parents, wife or children. So probably this family, the brother and sisters just grew up by themselves or they didn't have anyone associated with them other than uh, the brother or the sister. And Jesus was a very good friend of this family. Yeah, so as soon as their brother Lazarus was sick, the story says that the sisters sent word to their best friend Jesus. But the irony of the whole thing is Jesus didn't come. Instead, what's worse, the Bible says instead he waited for two more days when Jesus was their only hope. And by the time re Jesus reaches Lazarus, when you hear the rest of the story, you will know that Lazarus is dead. Not just dead, the Bible says he was buried in the tomb for four days. So he was not just dead, even the burial service was over. And there was something both the sisters told Jesus the moment they met Jesus. And what was that? If you've listened to the conversation, you'd have come across this very simple sentence, but very profound. They say, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. We all have had our if-only faces in life, I'm sure. If-onlys that range from consequences of day-to-day -day decisions to major life-changing decisions. Some simple if-onlys in our life could be, if only I had got up early this morning, if only I had studied a little better, if only I had told the truth to my boss. If only I had the money. If only I carried my driver's license that day. If only I had told her yesterday how much I loved her. If only I had not gone out with my friends that night. If only I had listened to my parents. If only I had not said yes to him. If only I was not born in this wretched family. If only I wasn't abused as a child. If only I had rushed my father to the hospital at the right time. If only my parents had not separated. If only. They are just two simple words, but when put together, they speak volumes. 
if only is a phrase used to express a strong, desperate wish. I want to emphasize on that word desperate wish that things could be different. But you know what? When Mary and Martha told Jesus, Master, if only you had been here, Jesus doesn't give answer to that question. Instead, he says something else. So when Mary and Martha said, if only, Jesus gave some very strange answers. First of all, he took them to the tomb. And these are the answers that Jesus gave them. You know what was the first answer that Jesus gave Mary and Martha? He said, roll the stone. Now that's a very strange answer to be given for if only. Jesus says, roll the stone. Now it's not traditionally or scientifically the right thing to do. Because once the mouth of the tomb is shut, once the stone is rolled, it should not be opened. That's the norm. But here, when Jesus says, roll the stone, ideally Martha and Mary should be excited. Because when Jesus says, roll the stone, he means business. So as sisters who had lost their brother, Mary and Martha should ideally be excited at what Jesus is going to do. But listen to Martha's answer when Jesus says, roll the stone. Martha, this is what she says, Lord, he has been dead for four days and the smell is terrible. And in some other versions it says, Lord, he's been dead for four days, the stench is terrible. Smell is just a light word, but I think stench, you know what stench is? It's terrible. Now it's so funny, who's dead inside the tomb? Her brother, right? But at this moment, when Jesus wants the stone to be rolled, the issue is not her dead brother. The issue is the stench. The issue is the stench. It's the bad smell. She's not worried about the dead brother inside the tomb. It's the stench. The problem is not the death itself at this point. The problem is the stench. The stench associated with the death. In a way, you know what Martha is trying to tell Jesus? See Jesus, please don't take up the issue anymore. There's nothing that can be done. He's dead. Four days inside the tomb, nothing can be done. Just leave it the way it is. Let's pray and go from here. Do you understand? That's what Martha is trying to say. The real problem here is not the issue of death itself. So what's the real problem here? It's the stench. You know, we are so worried about the stench that we do not want to acknowledge the death involved there. We do not want to acknowledge the issue there. What will my parents say if they know I have this problem? Can you relate to what I'm saying? You know, I can't share this with anyone. Because if I share, I'll be rejected in my friend's circle. Oh no, don't tell me. My fiancé is going to break up with me if she knows this. So I better keep it to myself. What will my pastors think if they know I am struggling in this area? 
I'm already in the ministry. I'll be bad in the eyes of my teachers and classmates if they know what my issue is. I'm already the prefect of the class. My boss will chuck me out of this job if they know this is what I'm struggling with. The list of stench is quite long. Our list of stench is quite long. You know what stench is? The bad smell is? The stench is nothing but the lack of boldness to agree that I have a problem. That's our stench. That's the smell. The smell is not the issue in itself. All of us struggle with issues. But you know what's the smell? You know what hurts? What stings? It's the lack of boldness to acknowledge that I have a problem. It's the lack of boldness to acknowledge that you have a problem. And you know what lack of boldness is called in a simple word? Pride. That's pride. The fear of stench. The fear of what people will say about me. The fear of acknowledging your problem. The fear of rejection will always keep you from solving your problem. And that's what Jesus did that day. He broke the power of stench. He rolled the stone away unless the stone is rolled. Unless the stone is rolled, your problem will still be dead inside. Roll the stone and acknowledge that I have a problem. You have a problem. In spite of what people say, think. Because people will always have something to say. You know, if you're doing something good, they'll say good. If you're doing something bad, they'll say bad. People are meant to talk. But in spite of what people say or think, if you roll the stone and acknowledge your problem, that's where you will see the work of God begin. So what did Jesus say first? Roll the stone. If you roll the stone, you will realize you have a problem. And then secondly, Jesus says something very interesting. What was that? He says, Lazarus, come out. What is so, so, so interesting about that? You know what I liked about that? I liked the way Jesus called Lazarus. I was just thinking a little different. Jesus did not say, hey, dead man, dead dude, come out. That's not what he said, right? Because he was dead. Four days in the tomb, dead. He didn't say, dead man, come out. But Jesus called Lazarus by name and said, Lazarus, come out. You know something? When Jesus looks at you and me, you need to understand that he's thoroughly interested in us. He's clearly interested in every aspect of our lives. He's not come here to judge you based on your situations or what you did or how much you and I have messed up. He's come here to meet with us. 
So when he calls you, he doesn't call you, hey addict. That's not what he calls you. He doesn't call you, hey liar. That's not what Jesus calls you. He doesn't call you, hey fatherless, I've come to talk to you, no. Hey motherless, I've come to deal with you, no. He doesn't call you, hey abused, I have business with you, no. Hey murderer, we need to settle things. Hey you cheat, no. Hey you womanizer, that's not what Jesus calls us. Jesus doesn't call us based on what we have messed up with. He's interested in you. He's interested in me. He calls you by name. You know, name speaks volumes. Volumes. From your name, you know, we can identify who's your father. Because if my name, of course, I'm married, so I hold my husband's name. You can identify who's my husband, Mr. Matthew, right? Or from your name, I can identify who's your father or your mother or your spouse. You get to know about your community, your class, your, your, uh, your language. Because some of the names are so revealing. From the name, you know which state you're coming from. You know? If it's Jacob, Matthew, most people know that he's a Malayali. Because <laughs> the combination of Jacob and Matthew is uniquely Malayali name. Right? So name speaks volumes. Volumes. And when you call a person by name, it really means business. Some years ago, when I was doing my post-graduation in uh, medical and psychiatry, I got an opportunity, opportunity to work in a um, hospital for the mentally ill. And uh, uh, so during, it was, it was a three months uh, project which we were doing with that hospital. And when we were there, there, were, there was me and another couple of other friends of mine. <clears throat> so while we were there, uh, we were put in the rehab section for a few days to interact with some of the rehab patients. So there was this guy, his name, I really forget his name, but let's call him Madhav this morning. So there was this guy, Madhav. He was a regular visitor into this uh, re rehab. He would come to the rehab, go through the whole procedure of the rehab, go back, shake hands with all the staff there, and say, I won't come back. But exactly within three weeks, he'll be back. So that was Madhav's story. Now, Madhav had a very strange idiosyncrasy. The thing is, he, he was heavy into drinking. So when he drinks, Madhav was a, you know, um, he was an auto rickshaw driver. And he didn't know English, okay? The only English he knows is the English which the tourists would speak to him, which he has heard from the tourists that he associated with, who would get take a ride in his. Otto. But otherwise, he was an uneducated man, no English that he knows. His vocabulary in English was nothing. He didn't know anything. The only language he knew was Malayalam. So uh, when Madhav comes into the rehab, every time after three weeks, he will be heavily drunk, you know. So when he comes, as he walks into the rehab, he comes speaking posh English. Now this is, hey doc, how are you doing? So we know this man doesn't know a word of English. 
but when he drinks he is a different person altogether when when whatever nasha goes into him that's what he becomes now the doctor is very smart so he know this is madhav's issue you know so as soon as madhav comes they put him into a room where he is allowed to show all his drama so he speaks heavy english and you're really stunned by the kind of english he speaks because he speaks with an accent so when madhav comes it's a scene altogether you know so we we the younger ones who are interning there we stand there and watch madhav's english speaking drama and all that and the staff are always laughing when madhav comes back but when when dr nayar comes down because the head doctor is called dr nayar so when he comes he doesn't do anything all he does is he takes a bucket of water pours it right on to madhav he doesn't get into the room he pours it right on to madhav and he says madhav come out and within few seconds madhav walks out speaking pure malayalam so we don't know how it happens so then later on as students we are stunned you know and then they take him to the rest of the procedures continue for the next 3 weeks where madhav has to go through his rehab process and it's a, it's a vicious circle madhav goes madhav comes back pours water and so this is a vicious process but you know what happened we we as students were stunned at the doctor's capacity of getting madhav to normal so we went one day to doctor's room uh, we asked doctor how do you do it you know what the doctor said no matter how much you are drunk you call the person in authority by name the man becomes normal all that doctor says is madhav come out and madhav is normal there is power in addressing a person by name it takes you to the bottom it takes you to the real you it removes the facade that you are walking around with it brings you to have a true encounter with yourself a true encounter with yourself you know when you have acknowledged your problem it becomes easy to encounter yourself all this time you have lived in a bubble that said i'm okay i'm okay i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm okay don't touch me you know what happens to a bubble when you touch it it bursts so you better not touch me i'm in this bubble i'm fine don't come near me i'm fine but the moment you acknowledge you've rolled the stone you've acknowledged you have a problem that's when you realize who you are that's when you come to a self realization of what's happened to you yes i am an addict and you know how i became an addict because i chose addiction to cover up my rejection you never realize that because you never acknowledge that you are an addict yes i am abused and i am living with the hurt and unforgiveness of abuse even to this day yes i am insecure yes because my parents never wanted me right from the time i was born they did not want me yes i thirst for acceptance because i was always compared compared with my siblings 
and I was never good in anybody's eyes. That's probably our story this evening and we've never realized it because we never ever acknowledged that we have a problem. This evening, the bubble has to burst and we need to know who we are. Lazarus, come out. It's me, it's me. This is, this is who I am, it's me. And last, there's another thing that Jesus says. Once he's rolled the stone, he calls Lazarus out. Jesus says, what did he say? Unwrap him. Unwrap him. Now why, I kept wondering this, you know. I kept wondering about this. Why did Jesus have to ask Lazarus to be unwrapped? Now why did I think about this? Because when Jesus told Lazarus to come out, he was no longer a dead man. Lazarus was alive, right? You saw in the video that he walked out. But why did Jesus ask him to be unwrapped? Because if you practically look at it, Lazarus was alive. He could have unwrapped himself if he wanted, right? He was walking. He could have unwrapped himself if he wanted. But he couldn't. Why? You know, the Bible says Lazarus was buried in that tomb for four days. And it was, tomb is not a good place to be in, by the way. It's not well lit. It's not comfortable. It was a dark, da a damp place. And four days wrapped from head to toe in strips of cloth inside that dark, damp tomb. Now, I don't know how many of you have experienced this. If I tie your eyes tight with a strip of cloth and then I bring you to light and then I untie the strip of cloth, what happens to you? Nothing. What happens to you? <laughs> Are you able to see properly? No. Or am I the only one who can't see properly? Can you relate to what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to see because you've been in this dark phase for quite some time. And that's exactly what Lazarus is in. Because I saw that in the video also when Lazarus walked, he walked like this, like a zombie. He had no clue where he was, right? In the tomb for four days, all in a very strange situation. Now he's coming out of the tomb. So here was Lazarus who needed help. Now I did a little research on this wrapping around, you know. Now they say when a dead person is wrapped in the Jewish culture or custom, it's, it's a very tedious process. And it's not big strips of cloth that's used. It's actually strips. It's not a piece of cloth, strips of cloth, thin strips of cloth that is used to tie the person from head to toe, okay? And it's done in a very peculiar way. So much so that I don't know what they feared about, so much so that the person will not be able to move. Thoroughly tied inside those strips of cloth. So ideally speaking, the person himself cannot untie it. It's impossible for the person himself to untie it. Now secondly, anyone or everyone cannot untie the person. They say they have to be specific people 
who has tied the person who can untie the person. Not everyone can untie the person. So even untying is a very laborious process. It has to be done very carefully. Because if it is not done carefully, the danger is the person, the dead man or whoever in this case, will get all the more entangled. And sometimes there is also the danger of the person who's trying to untie the person, his hands getting entangled. Do you understand? So it was very important that someone who knew how to untie Lazarus had to come and untie him. So that was very important. So that is why Jesus says, untie him and he unwrap him and he needed help. You know, it's not enough that you acknowledge your problem, burst the bubble and have an encounter with yourself. Because if you leave it there, you're going to get more entangled. Most of us are at that phase where we say, yeah, I know my, what my problem is. I know this is how that problem happened. And I can manage it. Fine, I can manage it. Yes. But what's going to happen? You're going to get more entangled. Because the enemy has really worked hard to tie you up. So if you do not get the right help, you're going to get entangled. All the more. Even worse. If you think you can save yourself, you're thoroughly mistaken. I'm sorry to say that. You can, you can get upset with me for saying this, but truth is truth. We cannot save ourselves. We need help. Not just any kind of help, but the right kind of help. You cannot unwrap your insecurity, your unforgiveness, your anger, your hurt, your rejection, your rebellion, your jealousy. You cannot do that yourself. If you try to, you realize that you're all the more entangled. So here is Jesus. Roll the stone, he said. The stone was rolled. Lazarus, come out and unwrap him. And at each phase, the Lord had a message. The Lord said, even as you roll the stone, acknowledge your problem. And when I call out, I mean business. I want you to have an encounter with yourself. I want you to realize who you are. And thirdly, when he said unwrap, Jesus says, that's not it. You need help. You need help. I need help. Now listen to me carefully. If you go back to the beginning of the story, the Bible says Jesus loved this family so much. If you just go back to the beginning of the story, listen to me very carefully. Jesus loved this family. These are not my words, but the Bible very clearly says this. So much so that the Bible mentions his love for all three siblings with separate emphasis. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's not that Jesus had a friendship just with Lazarus, but Jesus had a friendship with that family. His, this family was very close to his heart, so very close to his heart. But what really surprises me, and I'm sure you must be wondering about this too, if Jesus loved this family so much, if they had a very special heart in, you know, place in Jesus' heart, why 
did Jesus not hurry to see Lazarus? When you saw the video, it says, as soon as Lazarus was sick, they sent word to Jesus, asking him to come, because they knew Jesus was a healer. They knew this power in the name of Jesus. So they said, if Jesus comes, of course, things would be different. But Jesus never came, in spite of the fact that he was informed that Lazarus was sick. If Jesus had come, we know what would have happened. Jesus, Lazarus would not have died. He would have been healed. There was no need for this resurrection. Thanks again for tuning in for another message from Soul Revolution. You can do us a huge favor by rating, reviewing and sharing this message with your friends. We would love to hear from you on how this message has touched your life. Feel free to message us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you have a great week ahead.